Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening, and now for today's program. Welcome to our program. I'm glad you could join us today. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to continue preaching in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the title of the message is John's Testimony of Christ. And this is part 2. I started back up in verse 15 of John 1 talking about the testimony of John the Baptist concerning Christ. And I left off last week here in verse 23 and 24 when the Pharisees... You remember John, he didn't, uh, uh, he didn't blend in with the religious majority in, his, in Judah and, and Jerusalem. He was outside in the wilderness preaching his message and baptizing with water. And you know, he didn't wear the garb of the priest or the prophets in, who claimed to believe, uh, uh, believe the truth but didn't. He, he wore uh, uh, animal skins. He ate locust and wild honey, all of those things about John. He was, a, he was a real interesting character, but he was a preacher of the gospel. He was a prophet of God. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and his message was the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace through the blood and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation not by works, Salvation not by uh, decisions that people make today. Salvation by God's grace. And he preached that message. He, told, he, he pointed sinners to Christ. And what did he say? And we looked at several things. I urge you to get the message last week if you haven't heard it. Because John's testimony of Christ is that Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He's the one who came and saved his people by the fullness of his work. Well, here we pick up, it says in verse 24, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. The ones who were sent from Jerusalem to question John about who he was and what he was doing, they were Pharisees. And you need to understand something about the Pharisees. I think a lot of people have a a bad view, uh, a wrong view, let's say, of the Pharisees. They were hypocrites, and, and, and some of them were greedy, all of that. But you know, it's like religion today. If you look at people today who claim to be Christian, you have some who are very serious, very sincere, even kind and generous. There was a Pharisee like that. His name was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We'll look at that later on if the Lord allows us. But then they had their hypocrites, their evil, their political, their ambitious ones too. Somebody said, well, they were just real hateful. Well, they were, you know, when Christ and his disciples came on the scene, what Christ preached exposed what they held in high esteem as being evil. It's just like you today. Now think about this. If, if, you're, you claim, if you claim to be a Christian, you go to church and you're doing your best to be a sincere, obedient Christian. But let's say you don't believe the truth, the doctrine of Christ. 
And if a preacher came along who did believe it and exposed you, said, now look, you're lost. Your deeds are evil. How would you react to that? You wouldn't be pleasant, probably. You'd probably be hurt. You might even be vengeful. I don't know. But understand, how do you know what a Pharisee was at this time? A Pharisee is one who sought to be righteous before God, accepted with God by his works under the law. And what John was preaching was opposed to that. John preached in verse 16 of John 1, and of his, of Christ's fullness, have all we received, and grace for grace. Salvation is not by your works. It's by grace. And let me tell you what a hypocrite is in God's sight. Now this is where you need to understand this. Any sinner, whether it be you or me or anybody else, who comes before God seeking salvation based upon any conditions that they themselves have met, any works, any decisions, that's hypocritical. Because God won't receive that. We must come pleading the blood of His Son alone. The righteousness of His Son alone. His righteousness imputed to us and received by God-given faith. So understand that. Well, the Pharisees went out to question Him. And look at verse 25. This is where we'll pick up today. They asked John, and they said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias or Elijah, neither that prophet? Now, it's hard to discern what was in their minds when they asked that question. Why are you baptizing, John? And I think what it is, if you'll think about it, there were baptisms, what they call baptisms under the Old Covenant. And what those were, they were ceremonial washings. It wasn't Christian baptism, which is a confession of Christ. But they had to wash for this. They had to bathe for that. It was ceremonial washings, and it was called baptisms. There's a sense of being baptized into Moses, which meant being united to Moses under that covenant. So what they're asking here is, who gives you the authority to do what you're doing if you're not the Christ, if you're not the Messiah, or if you're not Elijah, or if you're not that prophet that Moses prophesied of in Deuteronomy 18? What's your authority? Well, and what's your power? Listen to John's answer. This is John's testimony of Christ. Verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But there, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. Look at verse 27. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now think about that. And these things were done in Beth Abara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now let me, let me uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 3. You can turn there too if you want to. And what, what was John saying there? He said, I baptize with water. Well, he's, he's simply telling them he doesn't have the power to save them. His baptism was just of water. And John's baptism, there's a lot of different ways that people look at this and, and describe it. 
John's baptism, some say it was different than Christian baptism. John's baptism now. I'm not talking about those washings under the old covenant. But John's baptism is called the baptism of repentance. Look over in Matthew chapter 3. This is Matthew's account of this. And John, it's in verse 11 of Matthew 3. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. It seems that what John is saying there is his baptism was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah, which we'd have to believe it was. And he's saying when those who were baptized, they were to repent of thinking that they could have ever been saved by their works and be prepared to be saved by grace. Now we know that it takes the providence and power of God the Spirit to bring a sinner to do that. So what, they all, what all they were confessing, were not exactly clear other than the baptism of repentance. Uh, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But look at verse 11. Here's what John was saying because Matthew adds this. But he that cometh after me, that's Christ, is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the new birth. My friend, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some addendum or second or third or fourth work of grace after you're saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the new birth in bringing a sinner to under the preaching of the gospel and giving that sinner life, spiritual life from the dead, spiritual life from above, and giving that sinner the faith and the knowledge to believe in Christ and lay hold of Him. Christ said you must be born again or you cannot see. You don't have spiritual eyes. The kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. And sinners are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that word fire there that he's talking about, the Holy Spirit and with fire, he's talking about with the Holy Spirit, who's the agent, the sovereign agent in the new birth. And with fire means with power. And what he's talking about there is that when the Spirit comes, to do His great work in the new birth, regeneration and conversion under the preaching of the gospel, it cannot be resisted because He baptizes with fire, with power. He burns up the dross and makes us anew in that sense. And so, understand that. Now, I know in the book of Acts there's some language that's, uh, uh, that people confuse about when Paul came to those who believed the gospel and he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? What he's talking about there is spiritual gifts of ministry that were bestowed upon believers at that time because they didn't have the completed authority of the Word of God as we do today. And I believe those, those spiritual ministry gifts uh, of miracles have, have ceased. Now, a lot of people disagree with me. And they jump on that. But here's what I want you to know about that. I don't argue with it. I know what I believe. I've read in the New Testament. But I don't argue with them. Here's what I want to tell you. If somebody says they have the gift... Uh, well, speaking in tongues, for example. The gift of tongues was not speaking in, an, in gibberish. Some language that no human being can understand. The gift of tongues in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians uh, 14... 
the book of the the gift of tongues was the ability, the miraculous ability, to preach the gospel or to hear the gospel in another language which you had not learned before. That's what that was. It wasn't just some what they call heavenly language that nobody can understand. And any time that the gift of tongues was used, Paul said you got to have an interpreter. So if some, uh, if let's say if a if a, uh, a Spanish person walked into our church, and God gave me the ability to speak the gospel in Spanish, I don't know Spanish, but if He gave me that ability, that would be the gift of tongues, languages. Or I could preach it in English and he'd give that person the gift to hear it in his own language. That's what happened in the book of Acts. So understand that now. And those were gifts of ministry. But they had received the Holy Spirit in the new birth or they wouldn't have believed in Christ. The Bible says, he that believeth is not condemned. He has life from the dead. Now here's what John is saying then. He's saying, look, He who's coming after me, that's Christ. And over here, uh, John recognized, and I don't know how he knew this, but I guess God revealed it to him when he said in verse 26, John 1, 26, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. John knew that Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was standing among them. And he says in verse 27, He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me. In other words, don't worship me. I'm not your Savior. There's one coming after me. He's going to appear before you after I appear, but he's before me. He has preeminence over me. He's eternal. And he said, that person, his shoe latchet, I'm not worthy to unlock. I'm not even worthy to be a servant to untie shoes. <laughs> That's the testimony of John the Baptist. I often use the example of what I call the John the Baptist school of ministry or school of preaching. And you can see several things that John said. He said, I'm not the Christ. He said, I only baptize with water. When I baptize somebody in New Testament baptism, Christian baptism as we call, I'm just performing the uh, will of God, revealed will of God by way of command. But I didn't save that person. I don't have that person I don't have the power to give that person new life, a new heart, new eyes, faith, and repentance. All I'm doing is baptize them with water. And that, that's important, but it's not, it's not the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Spirit is through the preaching of the gospel, for I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. In other words, if you believe the gospel, then the Holy Spirit's done His work. He's convinced you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Well, John says, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. That's what a servant did. Take the shoes off of his master. I'm not even worthy to do that. I don't have any worthiness in myself. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And then it says, he said these things in Beth Abra, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now look at verse 29. Now here's a verse that so many people abuse. It says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. That one that was standing among them, he came to John. Over in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 3, it speaks of that. Jesus came to John. And and here's what he said. Here's what John said when he saw him. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh or beareth away 
the sin of the world. Wow, what a statement. But that's John's testimony of Christ. He starts out calling him the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Well, you know about the sacrifices of lambs under the old covenant law. You remember the Passover where they were all to take a, a young lamb of a year old without spot, without blemish and slay the lamb and roast it, spread the blood over the door. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Well, that animal blood had no power to bring about forgiveness or righteousness. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says, the blood of bulls and of goats can never take away sin. They were types. They were pictures. You know, when the lamb first appeared was Abel's lamb. Abel was a shepherd. And he brought the lamb and slew the lamb and offered the blood to God. That was a picture of Christ, the lamb of God. He's the fulfillment of all the lambs. That's why today we don't sacrifice lambs because Christ has finished it. It's over. The veil in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom and there's no reason to slay an animal now. Christ has come. Behold the Lamb of God. He's God's Lamb and He's the only Lamb and there's no other Lamb. And Isn't that interesting? You know, Christ calls Himself the shepherd in other places because He's both. He's the shepherd, but He's the Lamb. He's the high priest and he's the offering. And then it says here, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now that word taketh away means to bear those sins away. Now you remember back in the Old Covenant, the law of the scapegoat, where they brought two uh, goats and the high priest uh, uh, laid his hand on one and then they took the, the lamb and took him out into the wilderness never to be seen again. Bearing the sins away. That was all a picture. That was all a type. Christ bore the sins of his sheep away. But now many people confuse this. What is it to have our sins bore away? Born away. Well, first of all, how did Christ bear those sins? Well, there's several ways that, he, uh, that, that the Bible puts that. But uh, think about 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, for he, now the he there is God the Father, made him, the him there is Christ, the Son of God incarnate, God the Father made Christ, the Son of God incarnate, to be or to uh, made him to be sin or made him sin, all right, for us. And then the who knew no sin there doesn't refer to us, it refers to Christ. For us, who knew no sin, Christ who knew no sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. How was He made sin? How did He bear sin? And the Bible tells us it's by the doctrine of imputation. Now what is imputation? Well, I say it all the time on this program. It is the legal charge of a debt to another person who can pay that debt. It's like becoming a surety. It's like if you owe money and you cannot pay the money and somebody steps in voluntarily and says, well, put it on my account, I'll repay it. That's what Christ did for his people, God's elect, before the world began. He's the surety of the covenant. See, that's what happens when, when the debt is imputed to you. 
you didn't run it up. You didn't cause it, but somebody else did. But whoever you paid the debt for, you've become surety for them. So he was made sin by imputation, by the legal charging or accounting of the sin debt of his people to his person. He was made sin. He bore our sins. Uh, by his stripes we are healed. All of the, Isaiah 53 is a beautiful passage that teaches this. Uh, all, all our, by his stripes we are healed. He took my place. He's my surety. He's my substitute. And he's my redeemer. And he paid the debt with the price of his blood and bore those sins away. To bear them away means he paid for them. And they cannot be charged to me. So that the Bible says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. I'm a person. If I'm all believers, true believers, you are people to whom God cannot and will not charge iniquity. And he bore them away. God cannot condemn you because he cannot charge sin to you. He has charged you. He has given over to your account the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. I stand before God not in a righteousness that I worked out. It's not one that I put into effect by my faith. It's his righteousness imputed to me. And out of that comes faith and life and repentance. This body is dead because of sin, Romans 8.10, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And that's how he bore my sins away. He's my, he's my surety, my substitute, my redeemer. He's my scapegoat. He's my lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. But it says here he did it for the world. Now the word world is a much misunderstood word in the Bible. It doesn't mean every person ever live, who has ever lived on this world, every individual without exception. The world here means that though it, it refers to those for whom he bore their sins away. Listen, if he bore your sins away, you cannot be condemned. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of who? God's elect. But why does it say world? It's because God has a people out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation all over this world. And anytime you see the word world, it's always qualified. John 3.16, for example, that people quote so often. When it says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world there is not everybody without exception. There are people whom God hates. The Bible says that. You can read it back in Psalm 5. There's other people. Romans 9. But God's hatred is not sinful. Listen, God's love is undeserved and free. There's only, God loves only in Christ. The word world here is those, the world of believers. All who believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Over in 1 John 5, I believe it's verse 21. He says the whole he said we are of God the whole world lieth in the wicked one. Now you'd agree that that doesn't mean everybody without exception. In fact, even in the verse it says we are of God. But the whole world, that's the sin-cursed world. That's people who are who live and die in unbelief. They're in the wicked one. But so back here in John 1 and 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which beareth away, taketh away, 
the sin of the world. If your sins are all taken away, at some point in time before you die, you will hear and believe the gospel. You cannot be condemned. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather is risen again and is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. So look at verse 30 now. Here it's continuing John's testimony of Christ. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So John repeats the glorious truth of the person of Christ as being both God and man in one person. Very God of very God, very man of very man, without sin. And he says in verse 31, And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. John did not know exactly who this person was going to be until he went out there and began to baptize and Jesus appeared to him. And it says in verse 32, and John bare record. Now John knew the gospel. He knew Christ in the gospel, but he didn't know the exact, he didn't know the the look and the, the identity of the humanity of Christ until Christ came to him. And it says in John bare record, verse 32, saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. Verse 33. Now we'll go back to Matthew 3 in just a moment. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is, is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And John says, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now let me show you a little more detail back here in Matthew chapter 3. Now, John, again, he knew the gospel. Don't mistake that. Before he ever saw the actual humanity of Christ, human body, Jesus incarnate, he knew Christ in the doctrine of the gospel. We've never seen Jesus in the flesh, but I know the gospel. I know him. I've seen him with the eye of faith. And Paul deals with that in 2 Corinthians 5 also. But then Jesus appeared to him and then he knew that this was the man. And so look back at Matthew chapter 3 and look at uh, uh, verse 13. John's out here baptizing. He talked to the Pharisees and made them mad. And he says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee. This is verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So Christ appeared on the scene and he confronted John and he said, John, baptize me. Well, John had already said, well, I'm not worthy to be your servant. And John in verse 14, he says, it says, but John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. I ought to be baptized. Now we'll pick up there next time on this John's testimony of Christ. Hope you'll join us next time for another message from God's word. We are glad you could join us for another edition of Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. To receive a copy of today's program or to learn more about Reign of Grace Media Ministries or Eager Avenue Grace Church, write us at 1102 Eager Drive, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Contact us by phone at 
432-6969 or email us through our website at www.theletterrofgrace.com. Thank you again for listening today and may the Lord be with you.